In this episode of Customer Experience Conversations, Simon and myself visit Retail Banking Research in London and talk about retail banking transformation in the UK and across Europe. And we were joined by Dominic Hirsch, RBR's Managing Director. Apologies in advance for the poor audio quality, we were trialling a new mobile podcast setup. Hello again guys, we have a special episode for you today. We are at RBR in London. I'm joined by Simon Ronald and Dominic Hirsch. Would you like to quickly give us an introduction of yourself, Dominic? Hi Louis, thanks very much. Uh, yes, so uh, thanks very much coming over to RBR today. So RBR, for those that don't know, uh, we describe ourselves as a research and consulting company. Uh, we operate in three main areas, banking automation, and all the stuff around automation and cash, uh, cards and payments or electronic forms of payment. And then the newest area for us is uh, retail, retail automation. We do a lot of stuff around the checkout process, particularly self-checkout now in stores. So those are our three three areas. Yeah, we publish a lot of uh, market research, market intelligence, but uh, I think we came across you guys at our conferences, and that's another thing we do. We organize four conferences a year on different topics. And so, yeah, that's how we got introduced. Okay, so how do you how did you start? doing what you're doing here because it is it is from, from our perspective especially the the events that you do branch transformation you can tell they're very relevant and perfect for us but you can tell there's a lot of work in the background to get to having events that are successful is that i guess it's not just as easy as sending out emails and getting people in no room. events uh, events is a, is, a, is a complicated business we so we we started more on the research side, and we, we're a relatively specialist research firm. We only operate in a few of those segments that I mentioned just before. And everything we do, whether it's our research, our consulting, our newsletter, and then most recently the events, it's about bringing together different people in the industry. And we had, for many years, been looking at different ways of doing that. We'd, uh, we'd considered conferences probably for the best part of 10 years before we actually launched the oh, really? business. Okay. Uh, partly because we didn't want to just do what everybody else does with conferences. There's a lot of big expos out there. And, and we wanted to do something that was much more around the content. And, and that really was how we got into it. We, we wanted to produce good quality speaker agendas. And we also wanted to leverage, the, the especially the bank network that we have. We, we interview between 500 and 1,000 banks every year during our research. And that, that network is very useful if you can sort of bring that together with suppliers to the industry. And that, that really is our model for the, for the conferences. We produce a good quality agenda and we get the banks along. And uh, yeah, we, we plan the events more than a year ahead. So typically we're booking a venue 18 months ahead and we're planning the actual event from probably about a year out. And uh, all comes together, usually comes together on the day. But the ones I've attended to, it always does on the day. And I, I, and I love that idea of attending smaller, more focused events. I think that's where, especially the attendees, the, the people that are there to learn something, I think that's where they get a lot more value if, if you've done all of that work that you guys do in the background to get those people in the room. I think it's just much more valuable than going to, remember a few years ago going to CBIT and you're just absolutely lost. I'm, I'm lost as an attendee, you're lost as a supplier, you're you're kind of lost as anybody that's there. You don't, I can't, it's just struggling. Your feet, your feet get sore, there's so much walking. It's, it's such a yeah, massive place. Absolutely right. And then it's difficult. You come back and I expect you to write a report on the success of CBIT. Well, yeah, I need new shoes. Uh, that's why, you know, it's difficult. So no, I, I do like much more focus to, to, to what, what we do. We're also very conscious, I think, that, that some of those big expos, they sort of come and go. So they build up and then there's a few years when they're very successful, but then they, they lose their mojo a little bit. And you know, we're, we're trying to keep it focused on, on the content. And we don't always, ironically, we don't always make ourselves very popular with suppliers. You know, we're quite strict on the speaker agenda. We're very keen not to have 
sort of salesy presentations and make them very content rich and stuff like that. And and it goes that that goes down well with the with delegates, especially here in Europe. It's interesting. In we also organise an event every year in Asia, and I think there it's a little bit different because the delegates there are also quite interested to see a bit more about what the vendors are doing, what the suppliers are doing. Whereas I think in Europe, there's a kind of view that you you can speak to the vendors one on one. You can maybe visit them in an expo, or even go and visit them in their offices, or or, or, or at some other point. And so the agendas are the, what the delegates are there for, and and then the opportunities are around that uh, meetings and discussions over lunch and in the breaks and so on. But it's very much driven by the agenda. Yeah, no, no, I, it's exactly what we go along for, and I understand as well. I kind of like that pressure when we're expected not to do a sales pitch because it's not what everybody in the room is there to do. I mean, if they if they wanted to hear us pitch our products, I think that's primarily why we've paid for the booth upstairs and everything around it. I think the talks are and should be more focused in education and learning and sharing experiences, which is what you guys do do quite well. Are there any themes this year that you got from this event? Because I've been coming each year and from from what I've seen, the talks and all of the financial institutions there seem to be more and more every year focusing on the customer now from certain perspectives. From what I've seen, the talks that I go to, are there any key changes that you see from what, what you listen well, to at your events? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, branch transformation, on the face of it, you think, well, it's amazing that that event will be that popular. Banks are closing branches in the UK, That's all around true. Europe, uh, yeah. North America, uh, not as fast actually as in Europe. Um, and so while there are parts of the world where, especially more developing countries, where the number of branches continues to grow, yeah, in, yeah, in, in much of Europe, it's a, it's a declining market. And you think, wow, it's amazing that a, a branch transformation conference has any success at all. And, and I think the reason is because you've got to differentiate between the number of branches, which it's true, uh, most banks in the UK uh, have been cutting their branches, and what is then happening with the branches that remain. And I think that's what's interesting, and that's why this event has been has been very successful, because ironically, banks are starting to invest in the, in the bank branches that remain and do new things. And that's where, I guess, your question starts coming, because what, what is happening? And we've seen a lot around about new designs, um, New layouts, more open plan, and then the other thing just is just the. I mean, and this is really RBR's angle originally in, in this area is the automation part of it. So, in, in our case, it's more the cash automation. So, it's things like ATMs, and self-service devices, but but it's a range. It's a range of digital automation, that all the queue management stuff that you do, for example, all sorts of account opening solutions that you're starting to see increasingly self-service or assisted self-service, so less dependent on branch staff. And you, and you see that going to branches now, though there are fewer branches, certainly fewer telepositions, and much more self-service. That said, the staff are still very important because, because the staff that remain are either helping customers with their self-service, so the assisted part of self-service, or even more importantly, value-added advisory type work as well, you know, appointments uh, for all sorts of value-added services. And actually, that's where I think there's still perhaps a bit of a gap uh, and an opportunity for, for the banks. I, I personally believe that they, they've got these great locations, often in high streets, you know, all around the country, and they could do a lot more to actually to, to actually sell their, their mm-hmm. services. You've got all the great retailers there are about the place. I don't think banks are great retailers, and I think they could do a lot more. It's not easy. It's a competitive market. Um, but uh, I, I, I do think there's an opportunity. And, and I think the banks are gradually getting that message. That's why they are investing. It's why they come to the conference. 
and uh, it's why you know it's why they are changing their branches. Yeah, I think I think absolutely the massive asset that they've got, which is just the sheer number of locations, is something that really they should be taking advantage of more and more. Because there was a period we were investigating and looking into cryptocurrencies a few years ago, because there was a moment where you thought actually this is going to revolutionise the financial markets or bank branches or the way we transact, but didn't quite do it. And I think that has given the high street and quite a few extra years of being able to change and diversify what they do until something else comes along to replace it. Yeah, I think that's right. And it, I mean, they, they have great locations as well. It's not just they have lots of them. They have great locations. Great locations. So that's, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, there's also, you're right, that, for example, there are a number of startup banks that have done quite well, particularly with younger people. But often they are used in conjunction with a more traditional bank account as well. And that's both good and bad for the traditional banks. I think, it, 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 on the one hand, it's obviously good because it's protecting them a little bit. But actually, it puts them in this dilemma about how much should they evolve themselves. Whereas in some ways, if, if they were more under threat, they might be thinking more radically and, and really thinking what they have to do to, to change change their offering. And that, and that, I think, is the challenge for the banks. You've got a real mix of customer base. You've got you've got very traditional, perhaps slightly older customers that expect roughly the same service they've had for many years. And then you've got younger customers who generally don't need to come into the branch very much at all. They're quite happy to use mobile accounts, mobile devices, and so on. That said, they also those people have important life decisions of their own that they have to make. And they would, they would, and we will, and they do go into to branches when they want a mortgage, want to buy a car, whatever it might be, life insurance, that sort of thing. And it's the banks that are best able to to reach out to those young people and, and then and then serve them that will be successful. And I don't think any of the, the, the better-known banks have really cracked that yet. So you were just mentioning banks being a location for young people. How else are banks personalising their, their offerings for young people? For example, at Branch Transformation, I saw a lot of presentations about banks being transformed into more community areas where, for example, I think it's Virgin's new bank, B-Works, and they're running mindfulness and yoga classes in their banks. To, to increase the footfall of the younger generation. What other trends like this have you seen? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. In, in the UK, you don't see that much of that sort of thing. Um, a, a place where you do is Spain. I mean, Spain, you might know, has uh, a lot of savings banks. It has uh, actually has a lot of branches. They, they have fallen in recent years, number of branches in Spain, but there's still a lot of branches. And they clearly have a mandate in Spain to be part of local communities. And so you often find the sort of things you just talked about and, and the space in bank branches used for various community-type activities. And I think that is definitely one way to go. I think it's quite hard, though, if you don't have a culture of that, if, if the UK doesn't have a culture where banks are integrated in, in the community in quite that way. I think it is, it is quite hard. I mean, some of the banks do do that. Barclays in particular, for example, has been promoting itself for example, to, to help people who are not very internet savvy or, mm. or, or digital savvy and, and try and help them in a kind of community type way. And it's quite it's quite notable that they're doing that in their in their marketing. I think they're doing that for two reasons. I think they're doing it partly to reach out to those specific people. But I think they're also doing it as a signaling thing, as more of just a, a general sort of advertising marketing thing to, to show that they are committed to, to, to the community and to society more generally. And it's not just about their products and services. And you, so see, quite you, you do see this on all of the advertising on TV now it's you never ever see any banks promoting products anymore any financial institutions it's all about a way of life it's around them helping the community as you say with, with Virgin offering what they do I've seen Lloyds Bank 
just before Christmas partnered with Relate for Mental Health. You've got NatWest promoting their integrations in communities in schools. I, you know, from my view, when I was younger, I was kind of told to go to my local bank, which was NatWest, to open a bank account. And I did what my parents told me, which is what they did. That was a almost inherent for banks to capture customers from birth to death. That is changing now, you know, with, with the ability to swap bank accounts now in an automated fashion. As we were discussing at the start, you know, with other industries, it's a lot easier for customers to talk with their feet and disappear. It's slightly harder with banks. And, but I, I, I think the regulation will, will be implemented by governments to have more responsibility around mental health because finances does affect people with mental health and, and alongside with, you know, the, the other processes behind looking after the community and being more driven in that fashion. You were asking about about young people as well. And I think one of the things that some of the new banks have done, uh, Monza and Starling Bank and so on, they've been quite innovative with what you might think are relatively simple features, but I think appeal to young people, for example, to help with budgeting. So you just automatically move certain amounts of money out of your main current account each month, or you have certain pots that you can put money in mm-hmm. and they're sort of subsets of your main bank account and that, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the challenges for the bigger banks is that they've got legacy systems and it's a little bit more difficult for them to do some of those things. But, you know, they should look at what some of these new banks are doing because I think there's something they could learn from that. Yeah, as as a student using services like Monzo and other online-only banks, it's definitely more convenient to manage small amounts of finance. For example, your student loan. From that, you can save a little bit of money using your Monzo account. But personally, I would never trust Monzo to manage my savings, for example, or might even to be my current account. I would just like it to be something I have as backup. Yeah, and that comes back to what we were saying earlier about the advantages that the traditional banks have. You know, we talked about their locations, and linked to that is a couple of things. I mean, what, what you were just saying just there, Simon, about with your parents and you, you know, open your first bank again. Now, that still happens. People open their first bank account somewhere related to, to where they either live or where they work. It's, it's, it's always like that. And I think, Lou, what you're just saying there about you wouldn't completely trust one of the newer banks with your savings, that's the, that's the same sort of point, which is that it's not so much that you don't completely trust them, but if there's a problem, you want you like the idea that you could go in and speak to somebody and, and somebody that's only on the internet, you, you slightly worry what happens. And, you know, I even sometimes think about that. I think, well, if I, if I actually lose my login details for this bank you know what if i what if i genuinely can't get into yeah how, how do i get how how, you know, how do i get into this account you know and because often they're quite hard to actually speak to anybody at some of these banks it's all done you know and, and all right they have they, they have a website and they have a chat functionality and so on but you, you kind of think where are they and yeah again in the uk it's, it's kind of okay they're, they're they're regulated you have um, for the first amount of your savings that's that's guaranteed and so on so so you know don't get me wrong i do trust these banks i think they do a great job i think they're very innovative uh, yeah they, they, they do have a disadvantage or put the other way the, the traditional banks the incumbents do have an advantage which is protects them so do you, do you think there is definitely some value in banking remaining more human than it's becoming completely automated well it, it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting question that because of course the two things are to some extent coming together you get all this stuff with bots going on now and what you know that's that's obviously automated, but it's but it's actually trying to make uh, the automation seem more human, and I think that's a recognition of the fact that that more sort of human banking is valued is valued by people, and and uh, yeah. So in, at one level, I think that's right. You've you've still got this dilemma, I think, that more and more can be done with self service, and and there's mm. at one level, there's no point in trying to fight that, and in fact. It's actually advantageous in some ways for the banks that, that that is the case because in the past they would have people doing 
jobs, which actually could just as easily have been done by the customer. And going forward, they don't need to spend quite as much money doing that. The, the flip side, though, is that you do need to make branches relevant. And we were discussing earlier how, how, how they can do that. Because if you, if you don't do that, people just will not go into branches. And, and, and what will happen is that startups, not necessarily rival banks, but other sort of financial services providers will pick off bits of that banking experience that are, that are profitable, mm-hmm. uh, leaving banks, ironically, with the, with the, the least profitable activities. And, and that will just make their, their lives even more difficult. So... So that's definitely something that they need to, to avoid. Yeah, that's quite interesting what you said about digital banks are looking to automate the human touch. And what you were saying, Louis, were about you don't trust a digital bank to look after your savings. I was just thinking in my head slightly around the wrong way because my expectations would be that a digital online bank with lower operating costs that don't have to have all of the cash management expensive processes in the background should be offering you better interest rates to what they do, whereas an incumbent high street bank that's got huge operating costs, you expect that, what are you are you paying for those operating? It should be around the other way, if you see what I'm trying to say, that, yeah, the digital ones with lower costs should be offering you more. Yeah, and actually, interestingly, they're trying to compete generally not on things like rates and more on some of that, that, human, that, that human touch, or at least... The experience, which may or may not be human, but they're definitely looking at the, the overall experience of using those apps or those websites and not just saying we want to offer the, the best rates. Most of those new banks are relatively small and unfortunately there's quite a high fixed cost associated with running the bank. And that's another area that the incumbents have in advantage. You've got millions and millions of customers and they can amortize their investments over those customers. And if you want these new startups, you're looking at tens or hundreds of thousands of customers versus millions. And so... So in that sense, it is relatively expensive for them. But uh, it's certainly worth tracking what they do. And, and if you if you use any, and I, I'm one of those slightly geeky people that tries out different services, yeah, you know, whether, whether, that's, whether that's bank accounts or money transfer services or whatever. And the experience of using those, those new services, banks could learn a lot. I mean, uh, even, even for us as a, as a, as a business, we, we make business payments. We've got a business bank account. And it's not always that easy, especially for some of our overseas payments. And then you, you get you know, people like TransferWise and Revolut, and they have just made it a lot easier and sometimes quicker and certainly cheaper. To, to send money abroad and, and sometimes when we are making overseas payments we'll actually use those alternative providers and not, not just because they're cheaper but actually because they actually make the process easier as well. Yeah, what we focus on is is that customer experience and I'm the same as you, quite geeky, will download apps or open a bank account with someone new just to test what the process is and I always find that for me my the one I use the most would be say Monzo for example because my customer experience was met exactly. You know, my expectations were that the opening the account process would take me around 15 minutes and it's all set within these guidelines. I know there's no human available. I know it's going to be automated. I know I'm going to have to record a video and it exactly met my expectations within. It took me 15 minutes. It was open. It was ready. Everything was automatically on my phone for app from Apple Pay. A lot of the other banks do desperately need to learn that lesson. But, of course, they've got the added value of the ability to have face-to-face engagements. Yeah, it's an interesting question also where these new banks will evolve um, to, to have a greater human element. I don't think you'll see them having large numbers of branches. But, you know, we have seen others. You know, Amazon has opened some physical stores and, and you, you sometimes do get uh, these things coming together. And so I don't, I don't think any of these new banks would go and, and introduce large branch networks as such. But I certainly think it's possible that they will do more human-to-human 
activity, whether that's telephone, video chat, uh, and possibly even a, a person-to-person, face-to-face interaction in maybe a limited number of branches or possibly in partnership with with some other providers or some other retailers maybe. And there are obviously lots of retailers that have networks, supermarkets, others that have networks. And you could imagine partnerships or, 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 or even, you know, companies merging or acquiring each other to try to get, get some of that physical face-to-face. Yeah, we did discuss this with one of our partners a few years ago, the idea of white label banking services. You know, another organization with a similar size branch network to take services of more than one financial institution, more than one bank. And the thought process back then was it would probably be the post office because they looked as if they were really moving towards that direction. But I think from what we see now is um, a lot of high street banks renting space from from the post office in rural and community areas rather than the post office actually taking over. But I do think there is an interesting space for that white label shared resources and and, and face to face branches. And yeah, and, and you, you see you see that happen already. I mean, uh, just down the road here, we have a we have a large Sainsbury's, and, and now they've got Argos integrated into that store, and I believe they're doing that in lots of stores around the country now. And that kind of makes sense. Then there used to be an Argos here in, in, in Richmond, and that's now closed, but it's now integrated with that on that site. And it doesn't take up a huge amount of space, and yet you know, it's, it's funny. It's been there for a while now, and every time I see it, it I, I've kind of forgotten that that's what they've done. But so it's, it does take a while to get really ingrained. I, I still have, I guess, from, from when I was a bit younger, I still imagine these sort of separate Argos stores on the high street. But you know, it's, it's a new way of working. It actually makes sense for both parties, I think, and. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a way forward for them, and, and and maybe that could happen more in financial services. Definitely, I saw an article just the other day about Debenhams opening gyms in their stores to help increase footfall. Uh, whether it would be effective in increasing sales, which is obviously their their primary goal. Yeah, I mean that is a good point. I mean it is about footfall, and so if you if you can get it, it's about footfall. It's about convenience, and if you if you're op- if you've got the right products and the right offering, and it's it's a place that's convenient and people are going anyway then no, that's we do a lot of discussions around the high street and footfall and how is the high street in its entirety going to kind of change and adapt for for the future because where i live particularly there is quite a clear trend of bank branches closing telcos closing ultimately as well but more local community driven cafes locally owned cafes now are becoming more and more popular which is having this weird effect at the moment of bringing people back to my local high street. We did go through a, f- a short period of time where local small businesses were closing, the local butchers were closed. There's, I don't think I've ever seen a fishmonger for 20 miles around where I live, but when I grew up, I did. And that, that trend where I live in northwest London seems to be just changing slightly. There, there is a butcher's back now. There's more and more cafes, there's more restaurants, and people are going back, but for, for, for very different reasons now. I wrote, I wrote a, an editorial in our Bank Automation Bulletin just recently about asking whether coffee bank branch is making a comeback because there was a kind of big thing 10 plus years ago where you started finding that Costa Coffee or whoever it was was opening up in, in, a, in a bank branch. And we haven't quite seen that, but, we, but what I think we are starting to see is this idea, and it relates to the earlier point about uh, community space, that branches are 
starting to become more of a place where you where you might go and you might interact in a slightly more informal way. We've certainly seen, and, and you'll have seen this at the conference, at the Branch Transformation Conference, that a number of European banks are starting to do this. And they've really transformed their branches and, and members of the community do go in. And, and you can go in there and you can chat, you can read the newspaper, and you can ask questions and pick up brochures and, and do all those things as well. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether the banks in the UK are able to go go down that route more and, and encourage people just into the branch. You mentioned a little bit about European banks. Is there any other main differences between the UK retail banking market and over in Europe? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, bank, retail banking markets in Europe are surprisingly different. You, you'd imagine that different countries would be, you know, Europe's kind of fairly homogenous and the, the banking market would be pretty similar across markets. And actually, they're, they're not. They're, they're very, very different. So you, you get countries such, well, I already mentioned Spain, Spain, Italy, Germany, for example, which have a lot of branches, very fragmented banking markets. And then you get places like the UK or France, which are very concentrated. You know, there's a small number of banks that dominate the market. That is certainly a, a big difference. You also get differences in, in how people bank. So how much cash is used in Germany, for example, is still relatively cash-oriented. Southern Europe, generally a bit more cash-oriented. Northern Europe, UK included, France as well. Relatively digital, relatively electronic, cards-focused. In France, is always very cards-focused. And of course, Northern Europe, the Nordics in particular, um, very strongly moved away from cash. So it's it's very different that the retail banking market across Europe. Yeah, it does feel a lot more digital here. I was even walking through the train station yesterday on my way home. There was a, a busker playing, and he had a, an iZettle payment in front of him. And, and I know the, um, the the guy out the front of Natural History Museum selling the big issue you can pay by card as well. So I think that that, right. that focus here is the change to digital seems to be quicker here than in most places. I think you have to really. I mean, you know, I do feel sorry sometimes for some of these these charity people because I mean, I, I'm often carrying no cash or at least no mm-hmm. coins. That's difficult, isn't it? You're not doing it. You're not going to donate in quite the same way. And so, you know, you don't, if you don't go down that road, how are you? How are you going to? Well, contacts, of course, is very big here in the UK, and that's that's another difference. Not all countries are as far down the contactless road. So, the ability to pay on a contactless card or on your mobile phone, UK was one of the furthest ahead in Europe on that. Other countries are catching up now, but that that has made massive inroads into into cash as well because it's it's meant that places where, especially for low value payments, where in the past you you would have you would have paid in cash, you you now pay with contactless, and so that. That, that is that is something. I mean, that said, um, the UK and it's not just in the UK it still has a proportion of the population that use that use cash quite heavily. There are um, lots of different reasons for that. Lots of very sensible reasons for doing that. It's certainly much easier to, to plan your finances when you're working in cash. It's you know if, if you know if, if the three of us had to estimate how much we paid on a card in the last week, we'd have no idea, right? But if we if you do it on, if you do it on in cash, you've got a much better idea because you know how much you took out, you know how much you got left in your wallet. It's much easier to it's much easier to plan in cash. So yeah, that's that's quite sensible. People when they're travelling tend to use much more cash. So there are there are various perfectly good reasons for, for using. Do you think that that's more around availability? I always see adverts from companies obviously providing hardware for cash management for ATMs. But is that not the case that cash is still as popular as it is because there are lots of ATMs available in certain areas, the availability to get cash now? In rural areas, banks are closing branches and removing ATMs, which is affecting kind of rural areas. But within cities, you're still seeing the high level of ATMs everywhere. Is it not potentially being maintained simply by availability of ATMs? It's an interesting question. I mean, what is true is that if you don't have ATMs, then cash is more difficult. Although 
actually, historically, if you look around uh, different countries around the world, what you find is in countries which have uh, more dispersed ATMs, you often find higher average withdrawal amounts because you're just planning for a longer period because it's not as convenient to, to get cash. And I think generally, not just in, in, in financial service, but in general, I think it's quite hard to force customers to behave a certain way. People behave the way they do because it's what they want to do and what's convenient for them. And so I think if it's convenient or more convenient to pay on a card or on a mobile phone, that is what they will do. If they want to pay in cash, they will pay in cash. And yeah, you can on the on the edges, you can probably nudge that and, and, and influence that. But I think you can't completely, you can't force a customer to do that. Mm. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Dominic. I'm going to ask you one more question. How would you summarize the future of retail banking in one or two sentences? It's a big question for one or two sentences. What can I say? Bank people will always need banks, and so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're young or old. You 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 will need banking services, and you will choose the services that are right for you. You'll choose those that are convenient, those that you like using, those that you trust, those that offer value for money as well. And it's the it's the organisations that get that right that will succeed. There is a certain amount of inertia in in, in especially in retail banking, and so. You can, if you're, a, if you, in the past have been a successful bank, you will not disappear overnight. But your business will gradually dwindle if you don't evolve and adapt and, and, and innovate. And the, the the people that do do those things in the long run will be successful. Amazing! I'd say that's a pretty good answer. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and tune in next time. Mm-hmm.